Okay, so uh, a couple of things here. This is Unstandardized English. My name is JPB Gerald. This is a podcast about epistemological whiteness and racial-linguistic ideologies and also whatever else I decide to talk about. Um, so some housekeeping. I have a new patron. Uh, the new patron is Molly Gordon. I want to thank her for her donation. If anyone else is interested in donating and is able to do so, the link is in the show description. I appreciate it. It uh, allows me to spend more time on the show and I enjoy it. So this episode, uh, this episode, so news for people who don't know from my Twitter feed, which I can't imagine you listen to this if you don't follow my Twitter feed, but so I have a book contract. Um, I don't want to go too, too deep into what the book is about because I have to spend the next year writing it, but, um, it is going to be in short about whiteness and language teaching, as you would expect. Um, but I'm not just talking about the problems with whiteness and language teaching because I've written about that before and I'm still writing about that a lot. Um, what I'm doing as sort of an analytic tool is basically Tucker Carlson uh, one day and probably several times, but I have one day as example, referred to Black Lives Matter protesters as being anti-social thugs. Now the thugs part is obviously racist, but people have covered that before. I mentioned the history of the word thug in the write-up, but the anti-social part was interesting to me because he doesn't mean anti-social like people who don't want to go to a party, right? He means it as an antisocial personality disorder, um, which is something that is starting to be used, I think, more often by pundits and commentators to describe um, people they don't like, basically. And now antisocial personality disorder, there's a lot of personality disorders, but it's one of the worst ones you can get diagnosed with, right? And it's basically what people get diagnosed with if we would call them you know, as laymen call them sociopaths, right? That's not, you can't really go into the doctor and they say, you're a sociopath. It's not really a diagnosis, um, but antisocial is. And he used this word probably because people are starting to realize it's the more technical medical term. And he basically diagnosed protesters as being antisocial because they were destroying property. That seems outlandish, but if you actually look at the history of the way that whiteness has framed blackness, the way that whiteness has framed, uh, sorry, has framed disability and disorder and framed people who don't speak standardized English, right? And lots of other groups, but those are the three groups I'm focusing on. Then actually the way whiteness frames these groups really does line up with the DSM definition of antisocial personality disorder because the DSM is nonsense and if you look at the actual criteria it's vague enough that you could probably put anybody in there if they don't fit what society wants um, so I'm using the DSM criteria to flip the script a little bit and actually put the issues with whiteness the intersection of whiteness and language teaching under the microscope. So I'm using, there's seven criteria, and I'm using those to point out issues or why language teaching is quote-unquote antisocial or basically lacking empathy, cruel, and so forth, and all of the reasons 
that language teaching has these issues are tied to its centering of whiteness. I'm also going to include my research here because this is also going to be my dissertation, um, which means all the classes I've been teaching about decentering whiteness. Um, I'm going to interview some of the people who've been in my classes, and some of what they have been doing to try to decenter whiteness is going to be featured as one of the possible solutions. I'm going to include some of the writing I've already done a little bit on decentering whiteness, some that's going to come out this winter and throughout the year. Um, but the gist of it basically is that whiteness uses language teaching as a, an instrument of pathologization. Um, it uses language teaching as a way to define who is ordered and who is disordered. And, you know, that means I have to talk a fair bit about disorders and uh, disability. And, you know, way back in the first season of my show, in like the fourth, maybe fifth episode, I had an episode called Black and or Smart. And I was only really starting to understand these things about myself. But in the time since then, well, I was in therapy back then and, and I was working with my therapist and we had come to the conclusion that I had uh, ADHD and I was about to go and get formally diagnosed. I was like, all right, I'm going to get diagnosed as soon as we have this baby. And then as soon as, you know, maybe during paternity leave or right afterwards. And that was last February. Well, you all know what happened then. <laughs> so I never went and did that. But it doesn't actually matter because if you look at the DSM, it's really just do these people agree that these symptoms are true of you? The symptoms are what they are. I've started writing about it and I've been using the word neurodivergent for myself. You've heard it a few times on this show. Um, and I've looked back at my history and a lot of the issues I had with well, that whole thing about being black and or smart is me realizing that um, their version of intelligence, their version of ability, and therefore not disability, was being closer to whiteness. And being a neurodivergent black student was something that didn't even come into play. And it's why I was basically um, classified as just a nuisance, as annoying for things that my classmates did where they got support. So what I'm gonna do in this episode with a, a friend and supporter who's also neurodivergent and who also, but more formally diagnosed with ADHD, and that's one of the things that's different about us and one of the things we're gonna talk about, is talk about um, basically uh, whiteness and neurodivergence. Um, and our experiences are parallel, but a little bit different experiences. They're different not only because of our races, but because of our genders and also because of our ages in the sense that there was more understanding when she was in school than there was when I was. Despite the fact that my school cost a whole, whole bunch of money and they never did anything besides find me annoying when I talk too much. Um, so that's what the episode's about. It... Uh, should be an interesting aspiration. You're going to hear more about my my neurodivergence and my understanding of it throughout this year as I write the book because I'm putting the arguments together and I don't know how to do anything without involving, <laughs> you know, public analysis of the work I'm doing as I do it. So that's what the episode's about. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> so folks welcome back to unstandardized english i am jp gerald you know that every week i say you know that i don't know why i always say that um 
So today we are going to talk, as I said in the introduction, a little bit about neurodivergence, some narratives of neurodivergence from different perspectives, and how that intersects with whiteness and different aspects of race and uh, grad school and all that sort of thing. So I'm here today with Ali Oates, as she calls herself. If you'd like to introduce yourself and tell the people who you are, but not too much. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Allie and I am a medical student in the Midwest. Um, I am white and grew up with ADHD um, neuro differences and so um, I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to um, or just talk about the differences in experiences as children, experiences in grad school. Um, obviously we're studying different things but um, there's, there's still a stigma against this, and uh, I thought it'd be interesting to compare um, just basically what we go through and how we tolerate it. So um, that's my little intro, but yes. Okay, yeah. I just, I still, I'm still surprised because I always thought Kansas was the plains, but <laughs> I just thought it okay, was. People in, people in Ohio say they're the Midwest, and I'm just so confused by that thought. Like yeah. the middle to the west. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, so the I for people who, who've listened to this before, I've sort of mentioned this a few times, and the introduction I recorded mentions this. But the the thing for me is that it took me a really long time to figure out what was going on with me, and for a very for most of my life, my experience was. You know, my brain worked how it worked, but there were certain aspects that were real advantages, mm -hmm. and those advantages sort of carried the day academically. And yes. you know, it was like I could memorize things really well. You know, I didn't have to put a lot of effort into it. Um, and I was the person who, you know, in like algebra, I would just get the answer, mm -hmm. and then they'd be like, "Show your work," and they're like, "But I got the answer." What mm -hmm. do I need to work for? I know the answer. And this would right. be a, a battle that I would have. Um, <laughs> and then it would get written up in my report card, like doesn't show his work. I'm like, but I got the answer. But what? my brain did the work. Like... <laughs> I did, like, the work is done. I just can't explain it to you. Yes. Um, which in retrospect means I wonder if they were doubting that I actually knew the answer. But, you know, um, I don't actually have proof of that one way or the other. So the point is, because <laughs> I was... And I have a lot of writing coming out about this, but I'm not telling you that you know that people listening. Um, I was, you know, more or less the only black kid, not the only, there's 78 kids in my grade growing up and there were five of us. So not the mm -hmm. only, but not a lot. Um, and of course this is Brooklyn or I, I don't live in Brooklyn now, but it was Brooklyn. That's not a lot. So, right. uh, you know, the, the way it broke down is that there were, I wasn't the only one in the grade, but mm -hmm. we had small classes. So I was usually the only one in the classroom. Right. Um, and there were a lot of kids, not a lot, but a fair amount of kids who would talk openly about having been diagnosed with various attention issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, back then, you know, they, they made a distinction between ADD and ADHD. So we're talking mm -hmm. about the 90s. Um, and oh, those, gosh. yeah, yeah, the nineties and, and, you know, mental stuff was not, was not super progressive. Um, but these kids talked about it and they talked about it, not so much with pride, but they weren't necessarily ashamed, 
because they talked about how they needed extra time on tests, right? And they talked about how, well, when the test, when we all had to take whatever tests, they got extra time. And that was just sort of something they said, not good, not bad, just a fact. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew because tests weren't really an issue for me, like I had issues, but that was not an issue. I said, well, then I'm not that. I'm not right. that you know uh and so I went on with my life and having different issues and struggles and then you know I got to to various points where you know we can talk about this in detail but like it presented obstacles that I had no idea were related to these sort of brain patterns yes um, I just thought that they were problems that problems with me you thought they were inherent to you not the way that your brain works right which in a way, is me, but yeah. like... <laughs> you, you saw it as a personal flaw, not a system that wasn't designed to work in the way that your brain works. Right, exactly. It is a, yeah. So, and that, and it took me really until the last few years to sort of piece it together in, you know, in treatment and sessions and so forth and realizing with my doctor that that is what was going on. Um, because it took me like a lot of like, it's this, it's this, it's this, and before it sort of lined up. Mm -hmm. um and then it was like the end of the wizard of oz no the, <laughs> the, the middle not the end the middle where the colors come in um yes. and all of a sudden like everything in retrospect made a lot of sense you so do your first assignment and you can focus and you just think is this how my classmates have done school like our entire lives <laughs> yeah <know? laughs> yeah um and and, and, I, and not that much changed for me in terms of like um my day-to-day -day, it was just an understanding of myself right and how, uh, how you are able to function best right and um now i know that me doing everything furiously way before i have to do it so that i don't feel overwhelmed and fall behind is or forget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the fact that, you know, like all this stuff, I'm just like, all right, but like, I, I see them now, instead of being idiosyncrasies, it's just like, they're, they're positive coping mechanisms. Yes. Um, and I use them to my advantage. Um, and I've starting to see the things that I always thought were problems with me as like, wow, I mean, I'm, with them. I'm glad I can do these things. You know? <laughs> yes. Well, and that's one of the things that we talk about in medicine, when we're looking at, you know, children and diagnosing this is, Typically, more intelligent children get diagnosed later because they are so good at coming up with these coping mechanisms. So you probably had all of your little idiosyncrasies that you would use to be able to compensate for forgetting, like taking notes all the time, or you did it so far in advance that you didn't end up forgetting it, which is what I still do. But I mean, you, you, you learn how to adapt with the tools your brain has given you. Yeah, but, but it, I mean, that did, it took me a while to figure that out, though. It probably, and, only, lasted, it probably only worked for so long until, right. you know, grad school comes up. Right. Like, well, it, well, it sort of went back and forth for me because really? I was not good at it as a, I was good at, look, kindergarten just wasn't that hard for me. But like, <laughs> you know, when I got to like middle school and th there became a larger amount of work that I just wasn't interested in. And, and yes. I didn't realize what the problem was, right? I just like, I just didn't care. But 
um, I couldn't make myself do it. Yes, <laughs> I was just finding like, the motivation to do something that you don't want to do. I was just like, I don't want to. So I just and also, so in middle school, did you have trouble relating to your peers? Because that's one thing that I really struggled with was my brain was going a million miles a minute. And so I was, you know, going down all these bunny trails and all these tangents and my peers couldn't relate to that. And so they thought it was, I was odd, you know? Yeah, I, I, um, I couldn't, I, I wanted to be funny, right? This mm-hmm. was the way to be accepted at my school and many schools, but all I can speak of is mine. And mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how to make people laugh organically mm-hmm. like I saw what I would see what other people did that people laughed at and try to do it but because it wasn't like it, it, yeah, it, it was, was not you. it was not my joke they were just like what's wrong with this kid yeah. um, yep. I remember in, in 10th grade there was this one kid who uh like we were on a field trip or something and mm-hmm. we were it was a hill and he like rolled down the hill and everyone laughed and I said I'll just do that also. So I did mm-hmm. nothing. They just, everyone was just like, what are you doing, man? Um, yeah. <laughs> I just did. I just was like, I'm just like, if I do exactly the same thing, they'll have the same reaction. But it's like, they literally just saw him do it. So why would it be funny? The point the whole reason it was, time. Yeah, yeah, it's like the whole point was funny is because it was, because it, it was novel. random. It was novel, right? And I just, but like, I, I was like an alien. I was like, here is what the humans like. And if I do yeah, these yeah. things, that they will like it. I felt like those, have you seen those little um, comic strip cartoons with the aliens who were just like- Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the strange tasks yeah. in you know, very formal English. Right, yeah. That's, in that's, standardized English. Right, exactly. Um, but that's how I tried to make people laugh. And then like, it's, you know, the story continues, but that's, that's, yeah. So that, you know, in a lot of ways, not being able to relate to people was, was things like that. And then, you know, just not having the same tastes and things, but trying really hard to develop the same taste, but still mm-hmm. because it wasn't natural, it just didn't work. It um, didn't work for you. Well, yeah, I just like, I just was like, well, I, I clearly have to get really interested in these things now, mm-hmm. suddenly. Um, <laughs> so, that, so, that, so that I can be, out of the blue. Yeah, just like, well, I have to get interested in what they're interested in. Um, and then I would show them how interested, but then they had moved on to something else and they would like it's make, hard to keep up. Yeah, and then they make fun of me for being behind. Um, what? what? I thought you all liked this stuff. Um, yeah. Well, that's one thing that people with ADHD and people with autism have in common though, is that difficulty reading social cues and difficulty relating socially. I mean, it's the same pathways that are different. They're different in different ways but it's that same part of the brain that is altered between the two. So it, we definitely have trouble relating to people more. I would go to sleepovers and just hang out with my friend's parents all night because I thought they were cool. And like, they had interests like I did, like World War II and all these adult things. And my friends wanted to play with Barbies and I wasn't into that. So I had a lot of trouble relating to peers. Well, I mean, did that ever change? Well, no. <laughs> It's true. You are much closer to your sleepover days than I am. Well, um, I, I definitely am not having sleepovers anymore, but um, still, I, I, I definitely relate better to people with weird interests. Like the, the stuff that everyone's into, I, I don't understand it. And I don't know if you feel the same way. Well, I that's one of the things I always, 
I think I was always unwilling to accept that about myself when I was younger, not now, but when I was younger, because I had some really intense, weird interests like the subway, right? Now everybody here takes the subway, but I was really interested. I just remember, I memorized all the stuff on the subway when I was four. Well, if you live here, it's just what you do, right? Oh, I know, but the subway makes me so scared. <laughs> right, but if you, if you, but anyway, so I memorized all the stops on the subway when I was four, every single stop in New York. And, and the story, and I don't know if this is true, this is what my mom tells me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I memorized them, but she, t- she says that I did it during a, a, a week when I, when I had chicken pots and I had to be out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they put the lotion on, so I was fine. And I'm just right. h- home. And I had chicken pots, and then apparently I got scarlet fever right afterwards because I was born in the 19th century or something. Um, (laughs) And because I was at home, I just had so much memory, so much that, you know. And then, and then, like I was just this kid who, in kindergarten, my mom made me um, a Halloween costume, and Mm -hmm. it was a subway train, and it was very cute, right? And I was this little kid who loved marbles and subways mm-hmm. until until then I skipped a grade and then I only was I one of the only black kids but I was a year younger I'm short mm-hmm. and I was and when when you're short as an adult like that gap of a year as a child yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're very small so and so I think a lot of the things were missed for me for some truly innocent reasons is that right I wasn't fitting in I was obviously a younger, smaller child. So people just assumed it was because of that. And I right. assumed it was because of that too, right? And, but there was other stuff going on and that, that was harder oh, to I see. Think, I think there's an important adjective that you're leaving yeah. out. But I didn't think about that back then. Right. I didn't think about being black at the time at all. Um, I mean, I thought about it in my, I didn't think about it in relationship to my peers. Right, right. Um, because I'd known the only peers I ever knew. Mm-hmm. So I'd been in the same school since I was three. I didn't, and <laughs> there wasn't and, like- I know what it was like to be in a classroom with more people who looked like you. Right. So, you know, and that too. Just from, from, from how we ta- we've talked before, I feel like, oh, Neptune, Betsy says hi. Wait, she's on the floor. But, and- I think that there's definitely a stark difference. You know, I went to a mostly white school similar to yours and I struggled fitting in, but I didn't, I don't think our struggles were similar in a lot of ways because I think that there's that extra factor that divided you from your classmates. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, you know, big the town you grew up in was, but like, I just right okay city um but what i mean is that i didn't live also didn't live close to my classmates okay um so that didn't help in terms of you know a lot of them lived near school right and um i lived i didn't live in a bad area i just didn't live near school mm-hmm. so i had to travel a lot farther to get there and the main difference was that like especially as we got older they would hang out at mm-hmm, school they, yeah because they live there, um, as one does, <laughs> hang out with people who live near you. And I couldn't do that because I didn't live there. Um, mm-hmm. And there was, we had, you know, we were comfortable, right? We were probably upper middle class, but they were 
way up there, like yes. at a certain level. And again, I'd known them since I was three, so I didn't think about these things until we got to be older. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> so, so yeah. there's that right like I mean, you know it's, it's interesting how many how much you don't see when you're a kid right I mean we had a house it was comfortable but when my mom bought it it was like coming out of the crack era in the 80s and it, it, like the house was nice but I mean like it was much cheaper than it would be now let's put it that right way. right um whereas where my classmates lived was never cheap <laughs> that, right. that, was, that was not that did, that did not need to gentrify let's put it that way yes 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 <laughs> um so all these things build up on top of each other and and like it it, it took until you know somewhat recently for me to understand these these other issues that I had or differences whatever that I had mm-hmm. because there were all these other things that were more obvious like that I still didn't even think about at the time but then like looking back like why didn't I just genuinely understand how to talk to these people, you know, right. or, or skip, or, or I, I never even stopped at, I don't understand how to talk to them. I skipped straight over that to yep. let, let me desperately try to talk to them. And you don't ways. realize how desperate you look because you're, tr- you're so, so just focused on fitting in. And looking back now, I just cringe really hard when the moment, mm-mm. Was not going to see it. Yeah. I went, you know, I tried that forever. And then there was a point probably in college, which was different because like everyone's coming to a new situation in college. Right. So I was not, you know, with the same people. So I you know a couple of my friends from high school went to college, but went to my college, but, um, you know, everyone's coming from different places. And right. then you get there and I tried to, I try to be a different person, right? Right. And that didn't work. <laughs> so then I just gave up. And right. for a long time, starting sometime in 2004 to, I don't know, like a decade later, I was just like aggressively weird. Like yes. on purpose. I feel that like, on a <laughs> just, like, just like, I, I'm, they're not going to like me. So I'm going to be as off-putting. I'm just going to be 500,000% just whatever. And it, yes. I, I wasn't always nice during this because I was mad. <laughs> so like, <laughs> like I was, I was pissed off too. So, right. you know, for, for like a, a good solid decade, I was like, if I look at pictures on Facebook from like 2006, I'm wearing like oversized like blazer that I got from the thrift store and all that. Like, Ooh, fashionable. You know, bright, and all bright green like you know just looking ridiculous because I said I can't blend in I can't be you know fully expected as hard as you can right you know but you know eventually it sort of rings hollow because I got older and I was just like nobody cares especially being in New York nobody cares (laughs) which is good in the sense that like if I walk around walk down the street looking weird in New York nobody cares like literally nobody cares um (laughs) you know people would be like okay fine but get out of the way but you know so that that ended up being a good thing and then um and then I figured out sort of how to dress had a dress my my wife had a lot to do with that um she was was like those clothes are too big they do not fit 
stop wearing oversized clothes. I'm like, but I, I she, and then I think <laughs> part of it is that like, I'm a small person physically. And um, I think some part of me wanted to be larger. I mean, obviously when I was a kid, I was short and, and I was a year young. And then some small part of me always wanted to be bigger, but um, like you can't get bigger just because your clothes are bigger. You look smaller right, inside right. of your big clothes. Um, just give and, off the impression that you are large. Right. And, you know, I mean, I was like, I was larger, you know, a decade ago, but, you know, I <laughs> started, started running and all that. Um, yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, like it's, and, and figuring, you know, one of the main things that I write about in, in the chapter about um, my own experience and looking back on it is that there were a lot of, I got in quote unquote trouble, not a lot of trouble, but like I got punished at school for like talking up in class, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now that's common for, you know, neurodivergent kids and common for black kids, whether they're neurodivergent or not. Yes. Um, but it, it's not so much that I got punished for it. That's the issue is that what I was doing was literally trying to mimic other people in my class. Right. And you got punished for it. I got punished for it. And they, whether they got reprimands in the classroom from the teacher, they sometimes did, but mm-hmm. socially they were mm-hmm. not punished at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, the whole time I'm thinking like, am I going to uh, look, this is silly now knowing what schools I went to, but when I was in high school, I didn't think I was going to get into a good school because these kids were, talking about they were taking this AP and the AP this and the AP that and I said and I first of all I was too lazy to do it well not lazy but I was just not interested so I was like right. well I'm not going to get into these these schools right. and then Which I think it's a much more coastal thing than a midwestern thing <laughs> yeah. just stating the obvious but so many people I talk to are like I want to go to these great um, state school is good <laughs> But yeah. I understand that comp- competition difference. I, th- I mean, I, I mean, looking back, it would have made more sense for me to do that. But like, you know, I can't really go backwards. Um, but the point is, you know, they only started to notice, they only started to point out my race um, when we were applying to colleges. And then, mm. and then I was going to be an obstacle to them. They didn't say anything about me being Black at all. I mean, I'm sure it came up, but we didn't talk about it until right. until we were applying to colleges. And then all of a sudden they want to have conversations about affirmative action. Just want to talk about it, you know, just want, you know, just have some questions about it, you know. Just curious, um, pick your mind. Yeah, just what, what do you think, you know? Um, I've told this story on the podcast before, but the, um, but like all of these, these, you know, the just not knowing, like I really, I really was like trying to, to, I, th- I thought so deeply, there was a point in not understanding things that I just, at some point I decided that like, I'd heard that puberty met, made it likelier that like your breath would smell bad. I heard this. I don't know where I heard this from. I heard it from somewhere. Who told me this? I don't know. So then I started chewing gum constantly, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be ready in case some girl wants to kiss you. Which was not going to happen because I was always chewing gum. But like, <laughs> like I used to spend a dollar a day on gum, right? The 20, they had 25 cent packs in the store, you know, 25 oh my cents, gosh. you know, the, you know, like the spirit. Yeah, the little bitty packs. Yeah, yeah. And I used, to, I used to get one, one big red, one spearmint, one juicy fruit, and one double mint. I don't even like juicy fruit. 
kind of only like spearmint and big red but I would get one of each and I would try to save them throughout the day. Like who, I wasn't talking to anybody. Who do I need all this gum for? But, <laughs> and I'm like- you fixated on that. Yeah, and I, like, I only had a few dollars a day for lunch, but one of them I spent on gum. So, you know- Gotta be that, ready. Yeah, be ready. Um, and and you're in COVID and we're wearing masks all the time, so you don't smell anybody's breath anyway. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Um, well, that's those little baby breath, which is cute. But um, <laughs> so cute. He's adorable. Um, but the um, yeah. So this, I just like if I, I just wonder what I could have done with myself if I hadn't spent so much energy trying to figure everybody else out. Right. I I wonder what I mean because you you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You do, you spend so much time and energy just trying to relate to people because it's so much harder and they're able to do things that you I I don't know if you felt this way but I'd look at them and just think how are you able to sit still for like four hours and study like that or they're very good at goal-directed behaviors and I'm already on the fifth bunny hole of the night like I don't know it, it was very hard to relate to people and I think that was one of the biggest challenges and figuring out how to do it and all the energy that went into that you do have to wonder what could you have done if you hadn't had to use so much of your energy just to try to relate to your peers. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of my efforts to be a class clown were because I couldn't focus, but I wasn't doing the typical, the way it manifested in me was not physical. I wasn't fidgeting really. Yeah, I was mentally fidgeting, but like part of my like, I gotta make people laugh. I gotta make people laugh. I gotta, I gotta entertain this. I gotta do this and all that mm -hmm. was because I couldn't just sit there. Um, right. I physically could sit there, but mentally it's just, it's just going in circles, it's going in circles. And, but if I made people laugh and I don't have to think about it for very long. Um, and See, for, me, for me, it was motion. I was always moving, like not necessarily like fidgety motion, but like, I remember every single state test from first grade on, I had to be in the very back because I spin in circles when I test because that motor stimulation helps make up for the lack of stimulation in your brain. But I remember my, my peers thinking I was so weird because I had to be moving to focus, which yeah. was yeah. distracting. We had, yeah, I had classmates who, who, who had, you know, constant motion going on. And because my things weren't like that, I said, mm -hmm. well, then I can't be that, right. you know, because there wasn't, I don't, maybe the understanding existed and wasn't shared with me. But the fact is, because I was able, like, if I you sat, pass. right, if I could sit sit down and put the information in my head, I could do well on the test, and so nobody cared about yeah. what 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 I was, you know, having trouble relating to, and they still all thought it was because, you know, I was a year young or whatever. It's like, look, by the time I was in like tenth grade, yeah, I was a year young, but I've been in the same grade for like nine years. Like at this point, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it doesn't really matter at that point. You know, um, and. You know, like it's just like you. I'd always get half the picture socially. Mm -hmm. I um, I knew whether it's and I got a lot of stuff from like watching TV, like TV shows. Yes. I'm like this is how people are. Um, yes. So in tenth grade, my school, which they've canceled these because these kids drank too much. Um, <laughs> which I yeah. Um, they. They had school dances. They had one in October, one in January, mm -hmm. one in one in May, right? Yeah. 
at the school and it was from eight to 12 on Friday night. I don't know. Um, and this, well, it's like a bunch of teachers were there and so forth. So like, you know, to watch the kids and I'm like, all right, fine. It's a dance. And there's like a DJ playing like music in like the school lobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I'd heard, I'm like, these kids are going to show up late. I'm going to show up late. It'll be fashionable. Be way cool. Yeah. So I show up at like 9.15 wearing a blazer and <laughs> my mom's sunglasses. Ooh. Well, I was trying to look like Biggie in the hypnotized video, um, which these kids wouldn't get. Uh, <laughs> so I show up at 9.15. There's nobody there. I'm literally the only person there. Um, these kids show up at 11.15 hammered for this dance that's ending at 12. And I'm like, I don't understand. Why are they falling all over the place? What, why did they show up so late? What were they doing, right? Cause these are kids who didn't have, didn't have any rules, right? They didn't have any curfew or anything like that. And they also all live near school. This, you know, one of the good things about being where we were from is that nobody drove anywhere. So it wasn't gonna right. be drunk driving going on. Um, and so all they had to do was walk to each other's houses and go to somebody's house and then walk to the school. Like for mm -hmm. me, like I had to like plan it and get driven to the school or take the yeah. subway or whatever. I mean, it was a Friday at eight, I could be on the subway, you know, then my, my, my dad was gonna pick me up on the way there. And I said, I just don't like, I was trying so hard to like get figured out. And I thought I had gotten it. I was gonna show up there and I was gonna make an entrance. And I, I just stood there by myself for like an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, no, I definitely did not understand like social events in high school. Like everyone would go to a party and there'd be, I, I, I just, do you stand around and dance? Like I, I would go and then I have no idea how to do it. And then I'd stand in the corner awkwardly and ask my mom to come pick me up. <laughs> I, I relate to fun people. <laughs> you know, it's funny, and one of the things that I should have noticed early on is that I, my mom, for perhaps the wrong reasons, but rightfully so, realized I didn't have a, I had a few Black friends, but not a lot, because of school. Mm -hmm. And so she signed me up for a group of, like a Black group. And I started off feeling really awkward and, and, and trying to do what I had been trying to do. But eventually, over time, you know, they accepted me. Mm -hmm. um, they sort of knew what I was going yeah. through. Yeah. And uh, they basically taught me to dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these moves sometimes. Yeah. And um, why well, I, mean, I just sort of followed them. But the fact of the matter is, I had enough rhythm to keep up. So right, right. I, I danced and I said, okay okay I can do this and yeah. so one of the main things is that I learned to dance and so if I went to parties I could dance and mm -hmm. if it was parties with black people that is when I went yeah. to white when I went to white parties they didn't care they can't dance they're just drunk so it was just like <laughs> it's true it's it was true. just like all right well this is useless and then like because I, I got so I learned to dance and I got to the point where if I went to the parties with my black friends I could dance and I would do well and like meet girls dance with them and stuff like that yeah it was a whole different situation like there it was literally like can you dance mm -hmm. and that was the focus as opposed to whatever the hell was going on in my school which um these people it was just a mess um and then I uh 
get to college and I'm like, all right, I can dance. I'm going to do this. And I get there. And the first night is just like, first of all, I, st I also started working out at this time. And uh -huh. I said, I'm short, but if I get muscles, then people pay attention to me. And yeah. it didn't not work because people, because I was this small, skinny kid. And then like one day it was a heat wave and people were like, what happened to him? Because um, yeah. I showed up in a tank top, right? And people were just confused. <laughs> they were confused. I was <laughs> tiny, small kid my whole life. And then like one April day, it was like 90 degrees. Like, dang, he got cute. Well, not just, just muscles. I don't know. But we'll see if they thought that about me. But it worked. People did pay more attention to me. But again, they paid more attention to me for the wrong reasons. Because like, nobody really knew anything about me. And I didn't know anything about me. Um, right. So then I get to college. And I'm like, all right. I got this. I got this. Yeah. And... I get there and it's just a much bigger school dance. <laughs> I'm yep, just yep. like, oh no, it's the same. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, no, there have. I mean, eventually, I, there there were black parties. You know, I tried to find them, but like, you know, right. uh, then I st I fell into the same patterns because I wanted to be accepted by the people who lived close to me, who were of various races, but. Mm -hmm. Not just white, but not just black either. But then yeah. your social anxiety comes back because you still haven't learned, you know, the, I don't know, all the, the weird social quirks. And so it doesn't matter even if you're in a new situation. At least that's how it was for me. Like, I reverted back to being awkward because that's, I had never learned to relate to people, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking back if, if, if I was, I never felt more, I was, you know, I, I wish I had, spent more time, you know, connecting with the, the black friends I'd had there. I mean, I'm still friends with a lot of them, but, uh, you know, one of the really nice things was we sort of had a semi-reunion in like 20, 2012. Um, mm -hmm. and that was cool. Um, and, you know, I, there, there are some of the people who have been the most supportive of me in the work I've been doing. And mm -hmm. like, it was a lot of my friends from high school that I just sort of got rid of during one of my recent purges. And I was just like, why do I care what you think? I don't want you to know what's happening to me. I mm -hmm. don't want you to know. Like, I would prefer that you did not know what's happening to me. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, just, it's just trying to connect with trying to be, trying to impress, trying to, to, to relate to, to the majoritized groups is, you know, one of the exhausting things. probably. It's, yeah, it, it is. And, you know, it's, it's where for me, the particulars of, okay, yeah, racism, yeah, but on top of that just the fact that be, being singled out for because they, they didn't know I had this going on they just thought it was right weird, right? right so they may have singled me out primarily for like race reasons or racist reasons but mm -hmm. that this was also going on it made it so that I felt so socially rejected that I right. couldn't deal right. with it like being I'm saying being ostracized would be one thing, but being ostracized and not being able to deal with it was- Or understand it. Yeah, just like, what is wrong with me? That they can't, I just, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of this, I only figured out, you know, more recently and realizing like, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I go back and there's, I, I was, I still was trying to do this, not not personality wise, but just in my activity, like someone who I I knew and who I actually do like. Um, 
um, said to me in 2014, she's a runner also. So she had seen me running and we, she, when we went to college together and she, so she's seen me running in Central Park and she said, hey, you know, we talked a couple of times and she said, Justin, you're, are you interested in helping us, you know, raise money for the school? And I was like, okay, because I'm just like, yes, I will be socially accepted by my yeah. school. Right. My school, look, the school doesn't care. The school will accept you if you give them money. So, you know, whatever. I mean, like the general right. school itself, but I mean, the, like my class community. Um, so I said, all right, I'll help them raise money. So I did it, but I was so deeply uncomfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't very good at it. Fine. Fine. But then, like, they were inviting us to, like, they had parties for the people who raised money, the annual giving mm-hmm. people. And I went to some, and every time I went to one of those, I just got so deeply uncomfortable that I went right. back, back into like college version being, yes. you know, just like, I'm just like, who, I'm, like, I'm watching it happen. I'm like, what are you yes. doing? What are you I doing? I don't understand. You're like 29 now and you're not 17. And what are you doing? Um, and, you know, the, the conversations these people were having, that were just so, I mean, I understand they're talking about money, but still just like, they're just going, like I remember they had a thing when they were gearing up for the 10th reunion, these motherfuckers were going through everyone in the class and assessing how much money they had. Well, I mean, I understand that that's the only way you're going to get the money is to know who has the money. Still, oh my gosh. (laughs) And I was just like, That makes me uncomfortable. I'm just like, what would they be saying about me if I wasn't here? Right. (laughs) In fact, what what are they going to say about me in 2022 when they're doing the 15th reunion and I'm not involved in raising the money? Yeah. Um, So like someone is going to say something about me, which is part of the reason I threw a lot of them off my list. I'm like, I don't want you to know the shit about me. But someone, they try to have someone who knows everybody in there. Right, Um, right. So it's a whole situation, let's put it that way. I feel Um, that now. I mean, classmates who've already like tried to sell me things or asked for donations and stuff, not realizing that I'm still super poor and in a lot of debt. (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, and then, to grad school like it's it doesn't it's not free unfortunately yeah yeah grad school is a whole yeah we said we we're going to talk about that huh um you know in terms of like fitting in and all that I got you know I went to I got my master's long a long time ago at this point and what year 2012 that was before um, I graduated high school yeah okay um so you know I uh but because I got most, did most of my work for that online, it wasn't quite, I didn't feel as much pressure to like fit in because, right. you know, and so it just didn't matter that much. Um, and most of the connections I got from that, I got at the end of it because we graduated because we were mostly online. We only started really meeting up when we were about to graduate. Mm-hmm. So then a lot of people connections happened afterwards that people that I know who I've worked with in the field and so forth. Great. Um, well, I went back to school again. I was like, all right, I wanted to be in person. And I was until obviously last year. Um, mm-hmm. And they set you up with a cohort, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like eight of us. And we were taking most, until later, most of our classes together. And I mm-hmm. said to myself, all right, this is, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be my people. But I still had that feeling. However, I did, and I think this is a useful term for people 
with our sort of brain things going on mm-hmm. is I did a, a heat check. You know what a heat check is in basketball? No. <laughs> a, heat, a heat check is where, you know, Steph Curry, right? He'll shoot three pointers from like 30, like really far away. He's very good at that. Um, mm-hmm. And what they say is not actually true to be like hot in basketball. Like when you're hitting mm-hmm. a lot of shots in a row, that's not, mm-hmm. it's not a real thing. Um, it's just luck. It, it's not like yes. something you're, you know, but if you are doing something that's difficult and it goes well, mm-hmm. then you, then you just like, well, I'll try it again. And Fair. I'll try it again until your hot, hot streak runs out. It's like you're saying the gambling, right. you know, you know, um, so I started my grad program and I said to myself, I'm going to do a heat check. I'm going to try to approach this first semester mm-hmm. the way I would like to study, mm-hmm. like the way I would prefer to study. Mm-hmm. And if I do well, then I'm going to keep doing it mm-hmm. until I hit a wall, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to do things the way other people do it. because. We came in and they were giving us advice on how to do things. And I said, mm-hmm. I, don't do, I don't do that. Um, no, it's but, not how I work. Yeah. But if it hadn't worked, then I would have been forced to figure it out. And I don't know what would have happened. It doesn't matter because they figured it out. Um, and so I said, okay, I'm going to do things the way I do things. I'm going to read everything super early and do everything early and then be on top of things and be ahead of things and so forth. And one of the things that I was giving up was a certain level of camaraderie with my uh, classmates because they did not do that. Uh, And I'm not trying to insult them. I'm not trying to insult them because I'm going to listen to this. No, but my point is that they did things. We had a group chat, which has gone somewhat dormant since we're not all in the same classes anymore. But Mm -hmm. um, we had a group text and it was always, our classes were Thursdays, right? So Mm -hmm. every Wednesday, Hey, what about the read for this weekend? Just, I hate, I can't, I hate it. Um, <laughs> and I used, to, I started telling my wife about it, and she got so annoyed. She's like, "Just stop telling me this." I'm like, "But I'm annoyed." She's like, "So I muted it. Like, I don't, I, I muted the, right. the group chat because I'm just like, I can't." Um, every Wednesday, hey, what do we actually do this week? <sighs> um, <laughs> and then you're come, the one who's then, on top of it and then come to end of the semester i don't know if i'm gonna be able to finish all this i'm like mm. and you know That's how or, I be, though. <laughs> and then people what is this i'm not even talking about being like you know over committed i'm not talking about stuff like that i mean just like not knowing what was what was this week was that you know that's why i just but the things i would be that way if i didn't get ahead right like that's exactly what happened because up through seventh grade, the reason I found myself, and I don't think I told you this story, I found myself taking the subway train around New York for three days um, was, <laughs> okay. I didn't even stand for three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay. So one day, one weekend, my family and I had gone to somewhere for the weekend, like I think to the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. We went there every so often. It's like a 90 minute drive. So we would like go Mm -hmm. there for the weekend. And I was coming back to New York and I said to myself, I did none of my homework. I did not one sliver of the homework I was assigned for tomorrow. I'm going to have to make excuses all day long. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just going to have to tell every single teacher I didn't do the homework. Mm-hmm. And I, I, had, I had been doing that and it was not fun to do. And mm-hmm. every day I would do it. And I don't, I'm just like, if I would just do the homework, this wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I wish wouldn't do the homework. Um, and I said, I can't go through this, man. I cannot mm-hmm. go through this nonsense. So my dad took me at that time, my babysitter had just quit. Um, and were you that awful? <laughs> well, I mean, it was she had an argument with my dad or something. Um, I'm just saying. I know I was pretty annoying though um, for these reasons, right? And um, I, I mean, imagine dealing with like an 11 year old version of me who's like babbling about everything, right? Dealing with um, a 37 year old version of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Um, so you know, and I think this story takes place like a year after you were born but because uh, <laughs> I was 11. So the, um, so the babysitter quit and my parents were like, well, you know how to get to school, right? Because I memorized all the subway stops. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah. And my dad would, he worked in lower Manhattan. So he would take the train to lower Manhattan. And then I had to go like one more stop to my school and then go. And, and the school was like a block from subway station. I knew how to get there. So he said, okay. And so for a few weeks, I did that. I would mm-hmm. take the train one stop and then just walk two blocks to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on this day, October 27th, 1997, yes, I remember what day it was. Um, I said, I, I can't go to school. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to myself, I'm just going to miss the first class. Mm-hmm. But then I said, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to sit walk around like they're gonna see me you know mm-hmm. school schools me like what are you doing going to school so <laughs> I just stayed on the subway and I said huh this is cool and at this point I also had this obsession with going to every subway station in New York City there's 406 at the time of 468 of them now there's 472 they've added four um and I'd only had a few left so I said what if I went to the other stations so I spent the day on subway. I used my lunch money to go to McDonald's at lunchtime. Then I got back on the subway. Um, and I did that for three days. And the thing is, the school didn't call home mm-hmm. until the third day. And on the third day, they said, Justin has missed several classes lately. Not he hasn't been in school for three days, yeah. but he's missed several classes. Now I got in trouble because I had done, I had cut class in fourth grade, but I didn't go anywhere. I just, I literally hid in like the library or something. Cause I just, yeah. I, had, I hadn't done my math homework and I didn't uh-huh. go to class. Um, so this was a further extension of that, but the school literally never, never quite understood that I missed three entire days of school. And I was just yeah. like, how on earth are they not paying, like in retrospect, I was like, how on earth are they not paying attention to the fact that- This like, child just isn't here for three days. <laughs> they, they're like small black child who's, makes noise throughout class it's just not there you know so I said they either didn't notice because they're paying so little attention or they were kind of glad I wasn't there which is how I thought of it at the time Mm -hmm. um so that was the lesson I took away from it like I got in trouble with my parents but like the school didn't really care Mm -hmm. and that was weird that would not have flown at my catholic grade school (laughs) yeah my school was very well in in trying to be my school was very proud of itself being weird, right? But its mm-hmm. weirdness was still very like, 
um, you know, wealthy and white. I'm not saying you didn't have any money. I'm just saying they had a very specific accepted kind of weird. Kind of weird. And to diverge from that the way that I did, not just in how I look, but in the way that I thought, it meant that you just sort of end up outside of it, you know? And that, you know, the school didn't formally punish me. I didn't get like expelled or anything, but mm -hmm. socially, the school was happy to allow me to be sort of socially punished. Right. Um, and uh, I genuinely thought it was because there was, you know, problems with me. So mm -hmm. that, yeah, but like you, you know, you, but you got support eventually in this. Mm -hmm. um, like, how did you end up getting, I mean, I guess for you, because you were physically moving, it was more obvious. But. Well, but see, I wasn't diagnosed until college because I have a really good memory. So all through grade school, I never did homework. I never had to study. I got through high school, like with all honors, got through college, two degrees in four years with all honors because I never had to study. I could just have a photographic memory and, and learn things. And it wasn't until the very end of college when I was studying for the MCAT to get into med school and overwhelmed with stuff. And that's when all of the, you know, we talked about earlier, our little, like, what's the word I'm thinking of? All those little things that we learn to compensate for our brains, you know, making our lists and doing things early, all that stuff only worked until there was a certain amount of pressure. And then I cracked and I'd been diagnosed as a kid. But my parents had never medicated me. And so I went back to a psychiatrist, got reevaluated, rediagnosed, and finally was able to sit down, take medication and focus for an entire hour without any distractions. And that was, but that's the, the same similar thing. And I feel like for girls, I mean, girls are a lot less likely to be diagnosed as children because we're expected to be talkative and to be just, you know, silly little girls. But it really took until grad school to realize that I, my mechanisms didn't work when you have to essentially drink water out of a fire hose with all the information being thrown at us. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've only been lucky just because the thing about a doctorate is the way if it's well designed, the program, you can sort of bend that fire hose to your will, and then mm -hmm. like the information I'm receiving is the information I want. So it's just like a whole bunch of information that I want to receive. Mm -hmm. So that has now that's not necessarily how it has to be, how it how it ends up being. A lot of people, mm -hmm. lot, first of all, a lot of people don't finish a doctors. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there, I could easily see how this could have gone poorly. One of my cohort mates dropped out, um, which in retrospect was probably obvious, like immediately, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, like, I have, I have never actually figured out how to focus. I just mm -hmm. know how to put little buckets of energy in different places yes. um, and and in, in in this pursuit I have just given it has been okay to give myself this many projects to do because mm -hmm. it's allowed me to be like the one person in the program who's doing all the stuff except for one other guy um, and so it has given me a weird you know the program keeps putting me forth as an example which is good um, and so I finally have that sort of acceptance at school, but on the other hand, 
I'm not sure if people have brains who are different from mine that they can do exactly what I do. Right. Uh, and I don't want to give people the impression that like what seems to be easy to me is easy for everyone. So or even it, easy for you. Or right. Like just because I do like it. They don't, they just because I the... do it quickly does not mean it's easy. Like that's that's the thing. Because yes. sometimes I do things really fast. That doesn't mean that I do it without effort. It's just that I can't actually do things slowly. <laughs> so right, right. it's either getting done quickly or it's not getting done. It's just not well, getting done. I, I don't know if you uh, feel the same way, but like if I have just one thing to focus on, I can't focus. But if I have 21 projects going simultaneously, then I can finally go from project to project, but get them all done in an okay period of time because it, having so much going on is what makes my brain feel stimulated. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's good about the the book project that I'm starting is that I have to still satisfy my school requirements. I, this is the mm -hmm. last class I'm taking, but I still have to like, so, it, you know, the book is, you know, I designed the thing and in order for it to qualify as dissertation, there's some extra stuff I have to do, right? Okay some other research stuff I have to add to it that is not, no one wants to read that nonsense. Um, <laughs> like that's why dissertations are, you know, unreadable garbage most of the time. Yeah. But uh, I have to do some of it in addition and having that as a balance, because I'm thinking right. about, like I have to do a lot of the writing this summer for, for the book, especially. And in the summer, I, you know, I take the time off the podcast and I won't have any classes. So I might, I might have a lot of time to write like, you know, most nights to write on the stuff. And if I yeah. only have the one thing to write, I don't know if I'm, well, on the other hand, I've also structured the book that it has many, many short sections. Yes, you can do it in pieces. <laughs> I can do it. I have like, um, it's three big parts plus a like prologue and introduction and whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And I have it so that I'm making it so that I'm going to set myself the target of 1500 words a week. Okay. Um, which if I am on a roll, I can do that in like an hour and 20 minutes. Like I can really write really fast. Oh, wow. But if I'm struggling, I'm not, it's not, it's just not going to happen. happen like that. <laughs> <laughs> because I wrote, I had a blog post I had to write and it, it didn't have a length on it. It was someone asked me to write it and I said, okay, I'll write it. And then, so uh, this was in December, I think. And I was like watching a movie offhandedly on a Sunday night and I just yeah. sort of sat down and wrote it and then like 40 minutes I wrote like 1200 words and I, you know it's it's good <laughs> so um sometimes people think that like which is why and I should you know I always say I shouldn't say this but they don't listen to this it's why certain things in my job don't work very well because mm -hmm. those things like that one of the reasons that I'm excited to write to work on the book is that it's going to have my voice in it and I know everyone's voices in their writing but I mean specifically it is a lot of stuff that I'm talking about from my vantage point my perspective mm -hmm. um and a lot of research tries to pretend that the person writing it isn't involved and I'm like who, 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 who do you think wrote this um mm -hmm. which is a large problem that I've talked about it very many times on this show but um the the issue is that I lost my train of thought, but uh, <laughs> <Buddy Hall. laughs> it's um, nope. It's it's not coming back. 
All right. But uh, it was something about oh, all the projects. You should have your voice. And you're excited because people try to act like their research is not their voice. Right. So it's going to have my voice in it. And um, a lot of the issue is that research doesn't have that. But one of the things that is a struggle for me at work, there's that was my point, is that mm -hmm. we are not supposed to have our voice in the writing. Um, it's, it's very technical writing. Mm -hmm. And um, we are, we have a house style, which style is fine. I mean, APA is a style too. I mean, that's, right. you, know, you know, you're just agreeing to rules, fine. But, you know, one can argue about that if you want, but that's not unique to my job. Um, right. But it's like, you, I can't write a fucking sentence. Like, it's just like, right. well, what, what your, your writing is your experience. And so it's hard to take your voice out of your experience. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, and, and I find that to be, I mean, part of why the work that I do, which isn't just about me, but it's also the research I'm doing is related to the classes I'm teaching. And then I'm going to interview some of the students and say like, okay, I had you make a plan to go change things. What did you actually do, right? Mm -hmm. Because the question will be like, okay, the approach that I'm taking in these classes is unique for this and this and this reason. And that's what I'm gonna write about, or that's part mm -hmm. of what'll be in the book and in the dissertation. And then, they went and they did stuff. Does it work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, did, and not just did, did what they plan work, which is up to them, but how did my approach in my class affect their ability to actually like decenter whiteness in their schools and so forth? Right, right, right. Um, and was it was it applicable? Were they able to apply it? Right, and I'm interested in that because I think sometimes even when we're talking about issues with racism and 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 ableism and all these things, nobody ever does anything about it. So, <laughs> like substantively, they're like, "Well, we mm -hmm. should hire one of them," and I'm like, mm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> "Not quite." <laughs> like my uh, my uh, my job. I always talk about my job on here one of these days, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we, we talk a big game about not, um, not being racist, right. And all this mm -hmm. stuff, but like, well, you know, as we all know that that doesn't work. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's a problem because it, and it's, I start to think a little bit more about how often that, that various disorders are stigmatized. I mean, that's the whole point mm -hmm. of the book. Like the book is about whiteness and, and, and language teaching, but it's using like the stigmatizing language to destigmatize, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, and like, because I think that although that seems unrelated to whiteness and language teaching, it's not. That's the kind of the point is that all these things are tied together. Um, the way that the concept of disorders was created is was to put those people over there <laughs> yes. so, so we don't have to care about them um, and we can take what we want from them uh, and you know it is it's a way of keeping society focused on neurotypical people like societies try to stay focused on white people it's a way of delegitimizing the experiences of those who don't fit into the box yeah and it it's you know, if there's so many things people are learning about 
what they can and can't deal with during all of this. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of these things that, you know, disabled people have always had to deal with. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, like, oh, now you're suddenly not getting all the accommodations that you're used to? Oh my gosh, try going through grade school. <laughs> oh, they have no idea. Yeah, and, and um, you know, there's... I, th- this whole thing, you don't want to say good things, obviously, I'm saying, but one of the things I've learned this year, this past nine, 11 months or whatever it is, um, is how few people are worth my time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, personally, I don't just mean to hear what I'm saying and all that, but like, th- there's, there's, there's a, a lot of people who, who really aren't there. You know, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not all, I don't mean all there. I mean, like there for you, you know? Um, right. And, and that's okay. Honestly, it's just um, it, to, to, to a lot of friendships, especially, and I'm not talking about romantic relationships, obviously um, are based upon proximity, right? Mm-hmm. You meet people because you went to school together. You meet people because you work together. You meet people because- Or you see them all the time at whatever uh, activity until you're friends because of that. Right, and you you, you did a thing together. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with becoming friends with people because you, know, you might as well be friendly people you're gonna do stuff with. Right, right. <laughs> but now that you're not doing stuff with, um, <laughs> there's, you realize like, oh, oh, do I actually were we actually friends or was it just convenience <laughs> to talk to you like because yeah. when I told people about the book and stuff I said do I think I can have a cogent conversation with this person about this topic mm-hmm. and if the answer was no I didn't tell him I mean it's not private anymore but like I did not send the specific like here you go message or email or something to to that many people like what I was you know I used to when I had birthday parties well part of me, me and my little sad boy story mm-hmm. is well I had a birthday party every year as a kid whatever mm-hmm. um until I was 13 and then I had a birthday party that I just was I said we have to have a DJ because mm-hmm. I just wanted to have this thing and like, then I got beaten by a bar mitzvah and everybody went to the bar mitzvah because they mm-hmm. had like a, a cruise and so forth. Um, and so that, that was like, we invited a lot of people and a lot of them canceled at the last minute because they want to go to the bar mitzvah and mm-hmm. nobody came to my birthday party besides a few people. So then I stopped having birthday parties. Mm-hmm. Stopped. Um, and then, rebellion. yeah, and then I started again because I had a birthday party when I was 19 and then a lot of people came. I said, this is fun. And then I started having them mm-hmm. again. Um, mm-hmm. But I used to invite everybody, everybody, everybody. And then yeah. when, it, when it came to, to like certain things, like first of all, when, when I got married, then I was inviting like some of my wife's friends and all that. And I was like, well, I can't invite everybody. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, agonizing over it. Just agonizing. Yes, over it. yes. But, well, especially once you've been the one on the outside, I feel like it's like the wounded healer complex where you don't want people to feel left out. Right, yeah. Because you spent then, so, many, so many years trying to feel like you fit in. And then you realize that like you're letting people in that you shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And there's, there's people that like, um, and, and there's people that you, I, you, you start to feel loyal towards because they were quote unquote 
there for you at times when you weren't at your best and then you realize like huh there i started to think more of of friendship as being a steward mm -hmm. um you know from point a to point b point a to point b might be childhood to death like it could be could be mm -hmm. all, all of life um and that's fine but like he i think as friends people are supposed to carry each other from one point to another mm -hmm. and it is okay to recognize that that point has come yeah <laughs> and, and gone <laughs> yeah and that's, and that's it's hard though because like i had i had very silly fights with male friends because men, first of all men don't know how to deal with their emotions generally um Retweet. so they have them but they mm -hmm. don't know how to deal with them. And I had to go get help to figure out how to deal with mine effectively. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they like, it was just, just, just like literally an eight month argument because I had two of my friends speak at my wedding and I didn't have another one speak there. And he was mad about it for eight months. This just, just went on for months, just an argument. And I was just look, and I couldn't. What I couldn't say to him because I couldn't come up with, I couldn't articulate it well. It was just like, like it ain't like that anymore, man. <laughs> right, like, we're we're not close like we once were. Right, but it's nothing was, personal. It's just the place you are in your life. Right, and the thing is, he he's like I betrayed him, all this stuff, and it just went on and on and on and on. And you know, now we're back. Like I I finally confided in him a little bit about not that but just about some things and then i guess he started trusting me again we're not like close anymore but so i invite him to like you know things but i'm also just like like i don't like you know it's it's a, it's like a thing where mm -hmm. he's gonna be there so i might as well invite him so like, right not, right then i have to go out of my way not to but what has been easy my point is that during this time when everyone's been mostly online and stuff or people who are not traveling or whatever it's like i have not had to make as many decisions there's going to be a, a period though mm -hmm. when everyone is safe and everyone is inviting everyone to everything <laughs> It's just it's going to happen though because people are going to be so happy. Um, although it's different in some places because like in New York, we're still like no one's like there's maybe a few people gathering, but nobody's really gathering here. But there's places where people have been doing it the whole time. I guess it won't be that big of a difference. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have not gone to out to eat in a restaurant in over a year, but most people here pretend that it uh, doesn't exist. So that's where we are. Yeah, All yeah weddings, we three hundred person weddings with no masks. I, I see a person with the nose out and I'm like, what's happening? Because mm -hmm. um, it's so unusual. Right. Uh, um, like, I mean, I'm not talking about like upside, like away from each other, you know, inside. inside. Right. Um, and I, uh, yeah. So, you know, we could probably have this conversation forever, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to, tie off the episode um i mean i think that being oh, perfect <laughs> right so i don't know i think that really dealing with a lot of this stuff is is challenging for everyone because the whole point isn't that we have quote unquote maladaptive behavior 
mm-hmm. it's that the world, and I don't want to say the world hasn't adapted to us. This was not an accident. The world mm-hmm. was built against us. Chooses not to accommodate us. Right. Or deliberately doesn't accommodate us. Yeah. Right? Makes yeah. the choice not to accommodate. Yeah. And that is, you know, it's it's interesting to see how I mean, part of it also is an era thing that like schools may have been a little bit different and you know, when you were there than they were when I was there. And mm-hmm. I hope things are better for people, you know, who knows what's gonna happen with Azul. Maybe he'll have the same thing going on. And I don't know. I don't know. You wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised. And so I've been looking, I'm looking Alyssa's like, he's eleven months old. Stop. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, maybe he's got I don't know. You gotta, you like, gotta set him up for success. <laughs> just like maybe you see, because like, look, this kid looks like he's got a lot of thoughts going on. Maybe it's like he's a baby. They all have a lot of thoughts going on. <laughs> oh my like, gosh! <laughs> I just know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I just, I know, I know things would be hard for him in some ways. But if, if, if it were the case, it would be nice to have somebody who's like me. So, no, yeah, I agree with that. Thankfully, he will, he has parents who really, really care about him and want to make the world a better place so he can grow up in that world. So, but yeah. we'll see how successful we are. 